Well, this morning we get to uh, rejoice with two cross-pointers who are going public with their faith and getting baptized. Uh, baptism is an outward symbol of, of the inward work that the Lord has done in our lives. The work that He has done, the work that He is doing in our lives. It is publicly declaring that, that Jesus has saved us and that He is who we are following as Lord and Savior. Scripture makes clear that, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So baptism doesn't save, but Jesus did command all believers to get baptized because in doing so, we are not only testifying to His grace in our lives, but we are also testifying that, that He's been good to us, that He's faithful to us, and that He has saved us. We are identifying that our old nature, our sin nature has been nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb, and that we're also identifying with His resurrection, that we've been raised to a new life, raised to walk in obedience to Him. So now we no longer live for ourselves, we live for Him who died and rose again for us. Baptism reminds us that we've been brought near to the Lord and brought near to one another as the family of the Lord. We love to see uh, family and friends gathered here to celebrate with Lizzie and Maggie. And when a fellow believer gets baptized, we celebrate, we rejoice and we give thanks because His faithful love has been on display in someone's life and continues to be on display in someone's life. So, Lizzie, you're up first. Um, <laughs> hello, my name is Lizzie. As most of you know, I grew up in Congerville up until fifth grade. During my younger years, I went to a church on Wednesdays, and every year on a special night, they would give us kids a chance to repent and accept Jesus into our hearts. I did not know fully know the meaning of what it meant, but every year I would do it. The summer before fifth grade, my family and I moved to Mexico to be missionaries. I did not know how I felt about it, but I definitely was not prepared for what would happen. Growing up in a small town, I didn't get on, I didn't get the terms the other kids knew or cussed the way they did. I started somewhat innocent through fifth grade, but then we moved to a new school. It was a Christian school, but of course not every student was going to be one. Halfway through my sixth grade year, I met a girl, and we quickly became close, and eventually we became too close. In the summer, she told me she liked girls, and I was interested in this. I began a toxic relationship with her. Eventually, my family found out, and I wasn't allowed to be with her. This made me very upset, and I began to harm myself. The nurse at school saw, them, saw the cuts and, of course, contacted my parents. I was taken out of school and homeschooled. This began the hardest time of my life. I had two friends and saw them once a week. The only reason I wanted to go to church was to see them. I had stopped hurting myself, but I had this constant feeling of emptiness in my heart. I felt empty inside and had no will to live. I thought about killing myself many times, and now I thank God every day that I did not go through with it. Freshman year, I was still depressed, but I was going to public high school, but I still wasn't very stable. I cussed a lot and told everyone I was something I was not and got trapped in the stereotype. Second semester, we moved to Tremont for a sabbatical. We didn't know if we were staying or not, but I didn't want to. I thought I had found happiness in the Texas Friends, but the sinful happiness is nothing compared to what I have now. When we first moved to Tremont, my first thought was, oh, goody two-shoes. I didn't want to live in a town where only good people were. In my mind, hanging out with Christians was not fun. I thought they were boring and uptight. I already knew a handful of people, but from the start, I already created a bad rep for myself. I started going to cabin on Saturday nights. For those who don't know what cabin it is, youth group on Saturdays at the cabin for college students and high school students. The sermons there actually applied to me. For once, I wasn't falling asleep or looking at my phone every five seconds. 
Over the months, God was changing my heart, and I could feel it. One of the Saturdays, it was a special night, and they had brought out the big cross, and we were writing our prayers down, and I wrote mine down and pinned it to the cross. Before on other Saturdays, I didn't know if I was ready, but tonight I was ready. Tonight I prayed to God and gave my life to him. This time was different from all the other times because it was true and genuine. When I had gone back to my aunt's, my parents were out of town. I was in the backyard listening to the songs they had performed at Cabin, and I felt the Holy Spirit enter me. I don't really know how to explain it, but I was filled with joy, and I ran to the basement and told my cousin, and we were all joyful. From the song Overwhelmed, in God, I run into your arms, unashamed because of mercy. To think God loves me no matter what, through the bad, through the good. The love he has for me is too much for me to comprehend. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. There is more to the verse, but I know what I need from it. I've renewed my faith, and now it is time to be unashamed and share with everyone who I belong to. Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, yeah. and I'll baptize you in his name. You want to come up? Um, I was a young adult, and I was living in Chicago, and I was struggling. Uh, I tried to find some churches to feel welcome, and I was feeling pretty lonely. I lived up there by myself. My whole family was still down here, um, but I had a hard time finding a church that I felt welcome in. Um, and so I got to the point where I got really lonely. I started to get regretful of some of the life choice, choices I had made. And I decided I didn't need church and I didn't need God. And um, I met some people along my journey that tried to invite me to church, tried to invite me to read their Bibles with them. It made me really uncomfortable, so I just avoided those people. Um, then I met Kyle, who's now my husband. And we started to have long conversations about religion and his journey with God. And for the first time, I never really felt judged. Um, he just talked to me and told me how he felt. And um, I got to be very interested in Bible-based teachings. So in 2015, after we got married, we started going to a church in Wisconsin. We were living in Wisconsin then. It was very much like Crosspoint. Um, and I started to read the Bible, and I just slowly started to felt my heart change. There wasn't really a, a moment, a defining moment, but over time, um, I felt my heart start to change, and I just started to trust in Jesus. I, I'm much less anxious, and um, I don't obsessively worry about things that I can't change. And I just have a general sense of peace, and like my life is falling into place finally. Um, and I, I was baptized as a baby because I grew up Catholic, so I just wanted to get rebaptized so that I could say it was my choice to have Jesus save me.
Maggie, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. beautiful things about uh, being part of a local church over the long haul is to see God's faithfulness um, uh, in a lot of different moments. Like I remember the moment that Lizzie and Kate became Fridingers. I remember the moment in Peoria Courthouse when that happened. I remember the moment that we uh, prayed over and dedicated them in a child dedication. Um, not to mention the uh, praying over them as missionaries. I remember the moment of meeting Kyle and Maggie and their family and that they'd found a church home here and, that, and, and how the Lord had been faithful to them through the years, bringing them together and how God had used Kyle to, to impact Maggie's heart and her life. And so one of the beautiful things about being a part of a church over the long haul is to see the faithfulness of God over the long haul. And I pray that that would stir up in us a deeper desire to uh, to worship the Lord because He's faithful, worship the Lord because He's at work changing lives, and that we would uh, lean into one another as the body of Christ, to not see this as, uh, to, to not see church as something to consume from, but to see something that this is what, this is the family we engage with. This is the family that we belong to, and that we are a part of, and that God is at work in. And so I want to pray. And then um, I'll preach a second message because we've already heard a couple. So, uh, Father God, we love you. We're grateful for your steadfast faithfulness. We're, we're grateful for your work in uh, Lizzie's life and in Maggie's life and their households. God, you're good and you're powerful and you're strong and you're loving. I pray that the work that you've begun in both of them we're grateful for the promise that you're faithful to finish that work. We rejoice, we celebrate, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so today we are together as an entire church family. Uh, those of you with young ones, you've come to that realization as you walked in. You're like, huh, no sun chasers. Okay, um, and no nursery. Okay, here we go. But one reason uh, we love to do that is because it's Thanksgiving and because we, we want to be together for moments like this. We want to be together as the church family, and this is the room we, we call the living room, all right? And so uh, it is good to be together. If your child needs uh, room to run, your child needs room to shout and sing and celebrate the goodness of today and the beauty of today, uh, the family room is welcome. The family room is open. The, the service is live streaming back there. And so you're welcome to escape back there if need be, all right? Uh, some family news, Dave and Lisa Zobris, be praying for them and their family. Uh, Dave's mother passed away, Dave's uh, mother Carol passed away this last week, and so services are today and tomorrow. Details of that are on the uh, Facebook page, but be praying for them. Our First Impressions team is going to be handing out the connection card booklets now. If you're a guest with us, fill out the gray section. If you're a regular attender or member, let us know that you're here as well. Uh, if there's something we can be praying for, something we can be celebrating uh, of God's goodness in your life, please write that at the bottom, and uh, maybe something you're thankful for, and so we could rejoice with that as a staff tomorrow morning and read through those. 
any next steps, whether it's baptism or something else, mark that and we'll be in contact this week. This past Sunday, our Operation Christmas Child Mission Project finished up. The kids of Sun Chasers packed up 273 boxes. Uh, that's, yeah. This year, we also served as a uh, collection center for Operation Christmas Child, the first time for that, and an, an additional 312 boxes were packed up either by Crosspoint households or by community members and churches around this area. So on Monday, we sent out 500, if my math is right, 585 boxes. And so we rejoice of, of God's faithfulness in that, and, and, the, and we pray in advance for the 585 children who will receive those boxes, that not only would they receive the gift in those, but they would ultimately receive the gospel, and that their lives would be transformed as a result of that. So thank you to those who, who gave so that those boxes could be packed by sun chasers, who gave financially so that those sun chaser boxes could be shipped out, who served as far as the collection week. Uh, a special thanks to Pam and Landy and their, their uh, leadership and their initiation through this whole project. And they're uh, just super faithful, super, you saw their love for the Lord and love for people on display as they served. And we're grateful for that. Next week, we begin a, a journey through the book of Acts. Uh, and we'll be there through the end of February. But this, uh, this is a kind of a flyover of the book of Acts about how God's at work building his church through that book. And so a few things we're encouraging you in to engage in this series. One is a, a Bible reading plan. You'll find that on our website or on our app. If you don't have our app, I encourage you to get that. Also, monthly scripture memory. Acts 1-8 is November's month or November's verse. In December, we're memorizing some of Acts 2 and just trying to hide God's word in our hearts so that we might live for him, so that the Spirit would use that to not only transform us, but uh, help us to transform and be a part of the transformation of others. And then also a personal study guide that coincides with the Sunday mornings. You'll find that uh, back at Guest Connections. So that series starts next Sunday. Today, considering it's Thanksgiving weekend, and we would all probably agree that we have room to grow when it comes to developing a heart of thankfulness and gratitude. I want, to, I want us to look at Psalm 107 and allow the Word of God to lead us there. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get to Psalm 107. Let me ask us some questions this morning. For those of us here who are Christ followers, what's your story of faith? What's your testimony? How did you come to know the Lord as, as Savior? This morning, we've heard a couple testimonies from Maggie and and Lizzie, but what's yours? As you think about your story, imagine breaking it down into four chapters. And in some form or fashion, for those of us here who are Christ followers, we probably have these four chapters in our stories. The first chapter you'd call a desperate situation. is the mess, the jam, the dilemma. When you think about your salvation story, there was a moment along the way where you came to realize that you were lost, rebellious, you'd wandered away from the Lord, You'd chosen to go your own way. You'd found yourself in a place that you needed rescue. You had a sin problem in your heart that you could not solve on your own. I don't care if you have a really dramatic testimony or not. If you got saved at 5, 15, 25, 35, whatever year that ends in 5. There was a time when you came to realize that you needed saving. You needed rescue which then led to this next chapter. The, the second chapter you'd call the cry for help. You were lost and you needed to be found. 
You were chained up and you needed to be set free. You were sick and you needed healing. You were being tossed back and forth by life and you needed anchoring. And you'd come to the point of of being done trying to find yourself or set yourself free or try to heal yourself or anchor yourself. You'd come to the point of knowing Jesus can only do those things. That He is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so you cried out for help. You cried out for rescue and saving. You were at the end of yourself and you had turned toward the Lord. You, you were repenting in that moment and that led to this next chapter. In the third chapter, you'd probably call the rescue. It's God's grace. It's forgiveness. God's response to your cry for help. And His response was not one of try harder, work harder, do better next time. His response was grace. Your cry for help was met with God's incredible grace and unfailing love. The Lord stepped into your life, and your heart was welcoming Him there. And He did what only the Lord could do. He rescued. He healed. He set free. He anchored your life, which led to the fourth chapter. And the final chapter you'd call Thanksgiving. This was your response. It wasn't like you, you were met with this amazing grace. You'd been forgiven, set free, anchored, and you were like, meh, n- n- no big deal. And you went back to living how you'd always lived. You were forever changed. You were never the same. And in response, your heart welled up with thanksgiving and praise. You, you were forever grateful that as you cried out for help, you'd come to the end of yourself The Lord had not only heard that cry, but He had responded, and He had redeemed, and He had rescued your life. Your response then was thanksgiving. And in Psalm 107, we see it follow that four-chapter pattern of a desperate situation, a cry for help, the Lord's response, and thanksgiving. The psalmist is going to describe four situations, and in each situation, he's going to work through these four chapters. My hope and desire is that as we look at this psalm, that the Lord's active and living word would stir up in us a deeper sense of thanksgiving, a deeper sense of thankfulness, and not kind of this vague, general, lukewarm, I'm a really thankful person, but for the Christ follower, our thanksgiving has its destination in the Lord. We're thankful for the Lord because the book of James tells us that that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And so our thanksgiving is not just kind of this vague, nebulous, I'm a thankful person. No, our, our thanksgiving is in the Lord because He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so I want to read the psalm, all of it, and I want to read it in, in, in somewhat of a responsive reading type thing. And so we're going to read all 43 verses. I think there's 43, and then we'll work back through them. But I, at the end of these four sections, there are a couple of verses that you will find very similar each time. And they're, on, they're in bold on the screen when we get there. And so I'd encourage you, and we'll read those together, just responding, reading God's Word out loud, allowing it to read our own hearts and lives. So I'll start in verse 1, and then when we we get to those sections, I'll lead you through it. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that He has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, 
from the north and the south. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let's read verses 8 and 9 together. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wondrous works for all humanity. For He has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. Others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. He broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. And let's read verses 15 and 16 together. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wondrous works for all humanity. For He has broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their iniquities. They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent His word and healed them. He rescued them from the pit. Let's read verses 21 and 22 together. Let them give thanks to the Lord, faithful love, and His wondrous works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices, thanksgiving, and announce His works with shouts of joy. Others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, His wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind. They stirred up the waves that stirred up the waves of the sea. Rising up to the sky, the sky sinking down to the depths, they, their courage melted away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then He guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let's read verses 31 and 32 together. Let them give thanks to the Lord. His wondrous works for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. And then the last section. He turns rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into a pool, dry land into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there and they establish a city where they can live. They sow fields and plant vineyards they, that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. When they, are diminished, when they are diminished and are humbled by cruel opposition and sorrow, he pours contempt on nobles and makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. But he lifts the needy out of their suffering and makes their families multiply like flocks. The upright see it and rejoice and all injustice shuts its mouth. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us through your spirit and through your word to consider your acts of faithful love in our lives. I pray that you would stir up in us a deeper sense of gratitude and thanksgiving for those faithful acts of love. Help our mind to be attentive to those things in our past 
and in our present life of how you've been faithful to us. I pray that by your word and spirit that you would transform us more and more into the image of Christ and stir up in us as your people a deeper sense of gratitude, a deeper sense of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this psalm, you've got this beginning portion and an ending one and then four sections along the way. And each, each of those four follow this similar pattern of those four chapters to each one. And yet each situation is slightly different. There's a cry for help, there's a rescue and a response of thanksgiving, but we find the desperate situation is slightly different in each one. So verse 1 through 3, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that He has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands from the east and the west, from the north and the south. So in this opening section, the overarching theme of the psalm gets announced. Because of God's goodness and His faithful love, those who have been redeemed give thanks. And our thanks is to the Lord. And we'll see the goodness of God on display in vivid ways four different times to four different groups of people. The lost, the guilty, the fools, and what I would call the tossed. Verses 4 through 9 describe the lost. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their, their spirits failed them, failed within them. So this first group we'd call the lost. And, and because they are lost in the wilderness, they are hungry. They're thirsty. They're exhausted. They're wandering aimlessly with no purpose, no home, no hope of finding refuge in a city of their own. Nothing is quenching their thirst. Nothing is satisfying their hunger pains. Imagine being in the middle of a desert with no tracks through the sand to follow or in the tundra with no tracks in the snow to follow and no oasis, no rest, no city to find refuge in. This is the situation that some find themselves in, the spiritual condition of some of our hearts and lives. And some of you are right there this morning. You're just kind of wandering in the wilderness. You're hungry, you're thirsty, and nothing you, you try satisfies or quenches. And the Lord wants to remind you this morning of the biblical truth that Jesus came to seek and save that which has been lost. That Jesus is the living water. That He is the bread of life. That He is who quenches and satisfies. He is who gives us rest. So some find themselves in the situation of being lost. And so their response is the chapter 2, the cry for help. Verse 6 then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He ignored them and told them to go find themselves that the truth is within them. No. Praise God. Instead, it's chapter 3. It's the rescue. How does the Lord respond? Well, His goodness is on beautiful display. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He rescued them from their distress. Every time you'll see this, from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. In the Lord, they found satisfaction, purpose, rest, no aimless wandering. What did the lost person bring to the Lord as they cried out for help? They brought nothing. Like They, they weren't halfway to their destination of, I almost found it without you. No, they were lost. They were wandering. They were aimless. They brought nothing and yet the Lord gives them everything because they're met with grace. 
They're met with this invitation to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and labor. And in me, you will find rest. And in response to the rescue, the lost respond in thanksgiving. Verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. And the reason for their thanks then is verse 9, for he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. Let's be reminded today that, that only the Lord satisfies, that he is who quenches, he is who fills us with good things. The next group of people are the guilty, starting in verse 10. Others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. He broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. So this psalm points us backward and forward. And here, it points backward to how the Israelites had rebelled against the Egyptians, or how they'd rebelled against the Lord, and the Lord had used the Egyptians then to bring about judgment on the people. And as a result, the people were in slavery. They were chained up to the cruel and hard labor of the Egyptians. The psalmist paints this uh, picture of a guilty person in chains behind bars and the darkness over their soul, a sense of shame, guilt, condemnation. And just like the Israelites couldn't break free from the Egyptians on their own, neither can the guilty or the prisoner break free from the chains of condemnation or guilt or shame on their own. They're held captive and can't get out of that condition on their own. They can't set themselves free. And again, some of you are there. I pray today you'd be reminded of the freedom that is found in Christ alone, that Jesus came to set the captives free, not to leave the captives behind bars. He came to break chains, the power of sin, the power of the enemy. And some of you were there at one point. You were the guilty, the condemned, but then you found grace through Christ alone. And so out of this desperate, dark, filthy, gloomy situation, the people cry out for help. Verse 13, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he said, sorry, enjoy your chains. You rebelled against me too much. You've just done too much against me. There's no hope for you. Enjoy your jail cell. No. He also didn't say, you know, you can work your way out of that cell somehow. If you do enough within that jail cell, if you work out enough, then I'll open the door. He didn't say that either. He just responded with grace. So we learned something about the Lord here. He saved them from their distress. There it is again. He brought them out of their darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Just like the Israelites had cried out for deliverance and the Lord had set them free from the Egyptians, for the believer in Christ, Jesus has shattered the chains of our sin. And he has the power to bring them out of darkness because he bore the weight of our sin. That he, he bore the weight of our condemnation. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So out of their guilty situation, they cry out for help. The Lord saves them, brings them out of of darkness into the light, breaks chains, and the people respond by going back to living in the jail cell because it's just nicer in there. It's far more comfortable within that little eight-by-eight eight area. Let's just put me behind bars. I'm, I just want to go back to living how I've always lived. <laughs> no way. 
You've been set free. You've been changed. And so they respond with thanksgiving. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. And the reason for the thanks is for he has broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. And now, according to Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no chains for those who are in Christ Jesus. The next group of people are the fools. Verse 17, fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their iniquities. They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. Timothy Keller said this about fools. Fools in the Bible are not just regular sinners, but those who have become destructively self-absorbed and self-deceived. The picture is of those who have badly damaged their spiritual and physical health through foolish, self-indulgent lifestyles and addictions. As verse 17 said, the fool has damaged themselves. Because of their own actions, maybe addiction, maybe some selfish pattern of life, they've brought ruin upon themselves. And because of their sin, they are approaching death. A lack of appetite is a sign of a nearing death. So they not only have lost their appetite, but they've lost hope. And they are finding themselves in a desperate situation. And some of you were there. Some of you were there. But God, God broke through. Some of you are there today. And I pray that you would allow the Lord to break into your heart and life completely. That out of your desperate situation, that you'd cry out to the Lord. Verse 19, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from the pit. Are you noticing the stark contrast here, the pictures that the psalmist is giving us? The people cry out, the Lord responds and rescues, and the whole situation is reversed. The whole situation. He not only saves them from their distress, but he forgives and heals and rescues. What does the fool bring to the Lord? They don't bring like, wow, I, I accomplished this or I achieved this. and They bring nothing, just like any of the other groups talked about here. All they bring is the wreckage of their own life and what, what are they met with? God's grace. God's faithful love. The infinite kindness and mercy of the Lord. <laughs> And as a result of being met with that grace, verse 22, let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wondrous works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and shout and, and announce His works with shouts of joy. So they have to tell someone. Their thanksgiving is not just kind of this inward feeling that never goes anywhere. It's outward. It's, it's, it's being told. There's a verbal element to it. Because when you've seen the Lord do this great reversal in your heart and life, you need to share that with others. You want to share that with others because you want them to experience that same type of reversal. The last group that's talked about is what, what I would call the tossed. Verse 23, others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, His wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths. Their courage melted away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. So similar to a fool, in a lot of ways, they brought it on themselves. 
They rebelled against the Lord. The Lord is just and holy, and so there are consequences for sin. Think of the story of Jonah. Jonah rebels. I'm not doing that, Lord. I'm not doing what you want me to do. I'm going to go this way. Fine. I'll chase you down with the storm. I'll still get you because I am a, a relentless God. And because my grace and my love for you are relentless, and so I'm still going to pursue you even in the midst of a storm. The boat is tossed back and forth. And so there's this picture of being battered by, by the storm. That's a picture sometimes of how life feels, right? Of being tossed back and forth, of hitting crisis, whether we brought it on ourselves with our sinful choices or simply because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. And that ever since Genesis 3, there is loss and sin and disease and strife and conflict. See, the sailors here are terrified. They're fearful. And they are helpless against the waves. And they realize, according to verse 27, that their skills to navigate the waters of this storm are what? It says, useless. They don't possess the skill on their own to, to ride these waves out. It's not like, well, we almost got to harbor on our own, and we just needed you to do that last little step, Lord. No, it's we are desperate and helpless out here. And so they're out of their desperate situation. They cry out. Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the, wa when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. The Lord provides safety, a haven, an anchor, so that they are no longer tossed, but they're secure, they're safe, they're assured. And their response is thanksgiving. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. And again, they can't keep the thanksgiving to themselves. They saw how bad the waves were. They were in the midst of that storm. And so when they got back to harbor, they had to tell somebody, you won't believe the storm I was in and how I cried out for help and the Lord met me. And so their thanksgiving is outward. It's announced. And then the closing portion of the psalm in each of these four sections, we see this reversal. And then in this last section, we see that again because, listen to me, God has the power to change things. That seems trite, but it's true. He has the power to change things. It's, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. His authority is limitless. No condition, whether that's a human heart or some other circumstantial thing around us, is greater than His power. We've seen examples of that four times in the book of Psalms. We've seen that in Lizzie's life and in Maggie's life. And for those of us here who are Christ followers, we've seen that happen in our lives as well. Verse 33 then, talking about these reversals. He turns rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. So that's not the reversal we're going for, going for right? But he's talking about God also has the power, the power because of wickedness, because he's just. Wrong doesn't go unnoticed. Wrong doesn't go unpunished or ignored by a holy God. So, so those reversals are a result of people turning away from the Lord. In Scripture, multiple times we see God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Well, those, there's an example of a reversal that happens because God opposes the proud because the inhabitants there are proud toward, toward the Lord, rejecting the Lord. But then, in starting in verse 35, we talk about God's grace to the humble. He turns a desert into a pool, dry land into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there, and they establish a city where they can live. They sow fields and plant vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them, and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. When they are diminished and are humbled by cruel opposition or oppression and sorrow, he pours contempt on nobles. He makes them wander in a trackless wasteland, but he lifts the needy out of their suffering and makes their families multiply like flocks. The upright see it and rejoice, and all injustice shuts its mouth. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. When we humble ourselves, God's grace abounds in our lives. Every section here is a picture of the Lord's acts of faithful love. Despite desperate situations, when people cried out to the Lord, He heard them. And He not only heard them, but He responded to them with grace. The lost, the guilty, the fools, the tossed, brought nothing but themselves. They didn't earn His grace. They didn't go out and work for it. They simply cried out, and the Lord responded. It was a gift of grace. In each of these sections, the psalmist starts with a desperate situation where the people were living for themselves, but after being redeemed and rescued, they could no longer live for themselves. They didn't want to go live for themselves. They didn't want to return to what they'd been brought out of because they'd been given new life and a new purpose, and their lives overflowed with thanksgiving. If you want to look at verses 1 through 3 again, Two words in there I want us to see as we wrap up. We've been redeemed and we've been gathered. The meaning of being redeemed by the Lord is that we've been delivered from sin at a great cost. We've been released from bondage to sin, not not by our own efforts, but by the costly sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. We've been brought out of slavery and into a new land by His mighty hand so that not that we could live for ourselves, but so that we could worship the Lord, serve the Lord, and serve and love people. According to Ephesians 1 and 1 Peter 1, we've been redeemed, set free, released by the precious blood of Christ. So we've been redeemed and we've been gathered. For the Israelites, they have, they'd been exiled from the promised land because of their rebellion toward the Lord. And during their exile, different people had faced these four different situations. They'd wandered, they'd been lost, they were captives. They were being tossed back and forth at sea. They were living for themselves. But then they'd been brought brought back from the exile. They'd received the grace of God. And so as they gathered, they would sing this psalm. And so you can imagine them as they've, as they've gathered together, they're singing this psalm and they're going, yeah, I, I was the lost. I was hungry and I was thirsty and I was exhausted. But now I found rest. And you were the fool. You were the one who lived for yourself and nearly destroyed yourself, but the Lord had rescued you. And so as they, as they corporately sang this psalm, this heart of thanksgiving would well up in them because they would say, well, that was me. That was you. And now we're together. 
because we've been brought near to one another and near to the Lord. Because of our sin, we have been banished from the garden. We were alienated, we were alienated separated, lost, hungry, thirsty, captive, foolish, tossed. But through Christ, we've been brought back. We've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We've been redeemed and we've been gathered. We've been gathered from the east and the west and the north and the south. The gospel of God's grace is for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. For those who are in Christ, we are now one in Christ. We've been gathered to the Lord and to one another. This is what the church is. The church is not something to attend. This is the church that we've been redeemed and we've been gathered. A people who have, have experienced both and then collectively, corporately, reminding ourselves of that week in and week out when we gather. Reminding ourselves of His faithful love toward us. That it wasn't just this moment in history of His faithful love, but we've seen it over the course of our lives. If the worship team could come back up. We are this psalm. We are the lost. We are the guilty. We are the tossed. We are the fools. We are the wanderers, the prisoners, the sick, the sailors in need of rescue. And so together we are saying in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, we have been found and we are now satisfied. And we are forgiven and we are healed and we are safe in His harbor. We are resting in Jesus. We are pursuing humility instead of pride. We are anchored to the unchanging, forever faithful, and steadfast love of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So if you could stand now. And I want us to read verses 1 through 3 together in unison as we go back into singing. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that He has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south.